0: Your health is our priority. Each series, it's our goal to make sure that we provide you with experts and guests that offer multiple perspectives so that you feel supported, empowered, and less alone.
1: Like the work we do? Buy us a cup of coffee or tea. You can leave us a tip over at coffee.com/slash the hip podcast, which is ko-fi.com/slash the HIP podcast or with the link in our show notes.
2: When you buy us a cup of coffee, you not only support the work we do, but also gain access to early releases and downloadable resources. Again, that's coffee.com slash the hip podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Health It's Personal. We are thrilled today to share with you the first episode of our two-part sexual health series. We can't wait to dive into conversations on reproductive health, intimacy, sexual education, and trauma, but even more so relationships, communication, body language, love, and healing. We started this podcast with the mission to have and share open conversations about all matters of health. Our past series have been incredible with guests and topics we couldn't have imagined we'd have the chance to discuss. Now we are thrilled to share discussions on sex education, starting with podcaster and sex educator Danielle of Sex Ed with DB. Today we talked shame, censorship, and education, of course, and it really gave us a lot to think about. There's so much we don't know or know where to look, so we hope with this conversation today we can help all of you and ourselves be more open and aware of the sexual health information that's out there and ultimately move forward with positive and inclusive education.
0: I love her origin story and her motivation behind what she does, finding her podcast and just seeing all of the different guests that she's had and topics that she's covered just made me feel so excited to talk with her because I don't think she even knew where it was headed, but she has so many incredible stories.
1: Yeah, and I think the best part about chatting with her was to just have that experience of someone who isn't necessarily an expert, like, you don't have to know all of this stuff going into these conversations. You can just be a person who wants to talk about them. And that's so inspirational for us and our listeners, because it shows us, even if you don't think you're being brave, you really are. You're just diving right into those conversations with people and really breaking down those barriers that we have, those stigmas.
2: Absolutely. And she mentioned that her mom is an OBGYN, and so there's a lot of discussions at the dinner table about sex education and sexual health. And even so, there were times when her mom maybe shamed her for certain things. And on the podcast, they actually had these open discussions with one another. And so that was really interesting because I think that me and mom are learning a lot throughout these series and having these discussions as well. I wonder... Kate, if there's something that you wish that you knew when you were kind of navigating the world of parenting a teen or preteen and having discussions on sexual education and health, <laughs>
0: hmm. everything,
1: <laughs> <laughs> all of it.
0: Yeah, I feel like I didn't have a really great foundation. All of the conversations that I had or all of the research I did were based out of my love for you and for Max. And so I just tried to educate myself as much as I possibly could, but I didn't have that foundation myself. And I wish what I would have known and understood is that I wish I would have known and understood myself better and my sexuality better because a lot of the discussions that I had were based out of fear. There are so many scary things in this world, and many of them are related to the way that people are treated and people's sexuality and sexual experiences. Mm -hmm. And so as a mom, I wanted to make sure I prepared my kids for those experiences, but also not focusing on the beauty of sexuality and the excitement. Well, we all have our own baggage too. So you go into those conversations
2: with your sexual experiences and not understanding yourself and maybe having trauma. So then kind of jumping straight to that conversation because it's so necessary. I didn't come out of those conversations knowing the basics.
0: Yeah. <laughs> or anything.
1: <laughs> I think that's one of the biggest things we want to do with this series too, is just to help people understand, yeah, we have to worry about all of these things. But I think that's something that blew my mind that why can't we focus on the positives as well? We're always so focused on, let's protect ourselves. And that's important, of course, don't get me wrong, but it's really enlightening to think about there are other aspects to the conversation too.
2: And everyone's different and everyone receives that information differently. And some people need certain conversations. And so you can't give every child exactly what they're needing. They do have to figure some things out for themselves. But I definitely would have benefited from conversations of how to connect with a partner and how important it is and wonderful it is to connect with a partner in our relationships and how important relationships are and different aspects of sexual health, which is just dating and relationships and love and intimacy and conversations and talking and all those other
0: points. I'm sad about the fact that we have sex conversations with kids early because we don't want to miss something so that they don't get pregnant or aren't treated improperly, or they don't get a disease. And so we prep them for that, but we don't explain like why you would have sex with somebody or what a relationship looks like or how to be treated in a relationship. But I was air quotes educated in the seventies and the eighties. And so things were a lot different then too. In the way I had a lot of trauma from my childhood because people didn't handle things properly. And so I think that's where the fear came from.
2: And I think sometimes when you're having a conversation with a 12 or 13 year old, one might think that the intimacy and pleasure aspect is something that can only be comprehended by an adult, but we still give them the tools to deal with sexual assault and Mm -hmm. different (laughs) things that are these really complex conversations. Yeah. And I think that thinking about how I might address those conversations with my future family, it would be focused a lot more on giving them the tools and conversations and confidence to make decisions for themselves and understand all the different sides and talk to them like an equal.
1: I think my first sex ed experience was in fifth grade in Maryland. And I think they did a pretty good job from what I've seen from most schools (laughs) across the country. But still, I feel like we learned about condoms and all the kids learned about periods and period care too, which is really cool. It was everyone, which is probably unheard of in, in some schools. But looking back, it was like, here's how you use a condom, but we never learned why or when.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah,
1: exactly. And I'm like, in fifth grade, I have no idea what sex was.
2: I'm sure at some point someone is going to... Offer me a banana and a condom, and I'm going to know how to fasten that in some (laughs) scenario. You know, you just trust it that that's going to come up.
1: very sheltered, so I was like, I have no idea why I would be, what is this?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: On that note, Kate, if you don't mind sharing, you're currently seeing a therapist, too, to kind of... This series has kind of sparked you to reconnect with that education yourself. Would you mind talking a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. So this sex education series has brought up a lot of things for me and really good things to help me consider and learn more about and also some triggers. And I just wanted to come into it with a really open mind. And my therapist is actually on maternity leave. (laughs) And I've been wanting to talk to a sex therapist for a long time just to sort of be able to have those conversations that I never had the ability to have with an educator or family member or whatever when I was younger, and also just talk about some of the things that I've been through and sort of unpack those, I Mm -hmm. guess. And also, Max is more challenging to chat with, even though I didn't handle my conversations with McKenna the way that I wish I would have. I think I knew that if she had questions, she knew she could come to me, or if I needed to address something, I could always come to her and talk to her about it. But with Max, he's just like, no, I don't want anything from you. And so I feel a really big responsibility to make sure that he has at least some of the tools that he needs as he goes out into the world and starts making choices for himself. So long story short, I decided to use this time. And I just had my last session yesterday because my actual therapist is coming back from maternity leave, which is so exciting. I miss her. But it's been really eye-opening and really important. And I just feel so thankful to have so many people in my life that encourage these types of interactions that therapy isn't as stigmatized as it used to be and that I can say, hey, I'm seeing a sex therapist and it's it doesn't feel taboo. Right. Because I think it's important for all of us to be able to have those conversations with professionals anytime we want. Right. And it doesn't have to be that something's wrong. It doesn't have to be that you're ha- there's dysfunction. It could just be that you need to have some conversations about things that are important to your well being and your connection with others.
1: Yeah. You know, I was thinking of, um, the LGBTQ plus, you know, sex education, we can barely handle any type of sex education in schools. So that's like a whole new layer to the conversation too. And I was thinking, I felt very comfortable talking to my mom, but if I asked her about those types of conversations, I don't think she would have. And that's maybe when you bring in a, you know, someone who's an expert. (laughs) So that's a really great opportunity.
0: Yeah, Shauna and I just spoke the other day with someone that we're going to interview. Um, She's amazing, Erica. And she was talking about, um because I had known someone who th- something had happened that she wasn't comfortable with, with her mm-hmm. kids involving sex. And she's like, okay, I thought this was all covered, but obviously the connections aren't all being mm-hmm. made here. So I need a professional to come in and talk to my teens. And she had someone come to her house and say, and just, she left And she just let them ask all the questions. And oh my gosh, I wish I would have done that. That is brilliant. And
1: It was so cool. (laughs) Erica
0: said that someone had asked her to do that for her daughter and her daughter's partner because they were ready to have a sexual relationship and she wanted them to be able to ask all the questions. And
2: brilliant.
1: Mm It was really cool. I love it. (laughs) That is
2: really cool. Yeah. So it's all really exciting that we're heading down a really positive path in education And Danielle has a ton of great information on how to find the right information and how to have these conversations. So we're so thrilled that she sat down with us today. So please, everyone, grab a cup of tea and enjoy.
1: Health is harmony. When you're aligned to everything you believe in, is when you feel that harmony and you feel peace.
2: Trying to get to the root cause of things. That is just so much to learn. Can you be present in those moments in your life that mean the
1: most? Because health, it's personal.
2: Hi, Danielle. We're so thrilled to chat with you today because we're obsessed with your podcast, Sex Ed with DB. Honestly, we wish we had found it sooner. You've talked with so many amazing people about all different topics related to sexual health. This all ties into your background in public health and also having a mom who's an OBGYN. What got you started down this path of addressing and modernizing sex education?
3: Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) I'm really stoked to chat today. What got me started down this path? Also love that y'all did so much research and know that my mom is an OBGYN, very fun. I usually have to break (laughs) that news at some point in the interview. (laughs) But yeah, I would say started down the path, definitely her based on like the conversations that we were having growing up in my family. There was a lot of placenta talk at the dinner table, which got us very comfortable. (laughs) Very, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Very early on. But there is kind of one aha moment that I do like to share with people when it comes to the beginning of my sex education journey in a bit more of a serious way, career wise. And so it really started when I was teaching English abroad in Israel for a year after I graduated from college. So I was like 21, almost 22 years old, pretty young at this point. And our whole teaching cohort was going on a field trip to this Jerusalem community, a very religious community called the Community of the Bells. And we had an, an interaction with a rabbi there who was kind of showing us around and sharing his customs and traditions and showing us this really grand, beautiful temple. And we were kind of chatting with him for a really long time. And kind of offhandedly, he says, I have five daughters also. And when each of them reach the age of 17 or 18, we marry them off by the matchmaker and they don't learn about sex until their wedding night when they have it. And we pray that they get pregnant from that sexual encounter. Oh, woof. <laughs> and I memory is funky. Maybe it didn't happen all in 10 seconds of H- horrificness, <laughs> but that's what I remember. Yeah. And I was the only one who like shot my hand up out of this room of like 50 people to like kind of combat this horrific, sexist, misogynistic, blatant disregard for human rights. And Mm. I was like, what about what they want? Like, did they have a say in any of this? Like, what if they don't really want to be moms right now or ever? And what about their bodies and information? Like these young women don't have access to the internet in ultra-Orthodox communities. And so he kind of like brushed me off and was like, this is just how it goes. Yeah. here." <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. kid. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember so vividly, like I went home that night and wrote a note in my cell phone being like October of like, whatever, 2015, like this is, or I think it was October, 2014. Like that is the day that I, I'm just like, so floored by this injustice. And, you know, it's not just happening in Israel. It's not just happening around the world in third world countries. It's happening in our own backyards. You know, I went to Berkeley for undergrad. It was definitely happening there. It happens everywhere, basically. And so that's really the aha moment I like to share about what really got me started in this field. Yeah. And I'm just
0: kind of taken back by the fact that you felt brave enough to raise your hand and, and you were able to kind of get your thoughts together. Sometimes I get so shocked by moments or shocked by things that happen that it takes me a good three or four days to even realize how shocked I am. So the fact that you had the presence of mind to push back in that moment,
3: I think is really brave. Thank you. I appreciate that. It was kind of like a knee jerk reaction. I was just like, (laughs) oh no, it's going up. (laughs) I just like, couldn't stay silent. It like felt too wrong to not say anything. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. I would have tweeted about it, but
3: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really have a Twitter, I don't think, at that point.
1: Can you believe this?
3: (laughs) I know. If I had it, no one was following me. So I just think I would have said to nobody, basically, um, that it was garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Just for yourself, a little old journal. Yeah. So you started
0: this podcast. What was kind of like your initial goal when you created it, or what were you thinking? What were you trying to accomplish?
3: Yeah. So, kind of fast forward to, 2016 and the election of trump and that in tandem with my experience in israel just it made me just want to like do something like that really was the goal from the Mm get-go was like let me just like do anything that will make me feel like i'm fulfilling like something that feels really good that i'm storytelling that i'm like really just like trying to make something for myself that feels good and feels like I'm actually taking action. Mm -hmm. So I think that was really the impetus for starting it. And I didn't really have like long-term goals beyond like the first season. You know, I was just kind of like, oh, I don't really know where this is going to go. I don't really know how successful it's going to be, but it felt really good to just be able to do something about what was going on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So when we started our podcast, we were interested in providing education for young people, young adults, parents about all matters of health, obviously, but it stemmed from us not getting what we needed regarding sexual health when we were younger. And we wanted to kind of tackle sexual health. And it took us a while before we've even gotten here because it's so overwhelming. Everybody's journey is different. Everybody's experience is different, needs. And so I think that's amazing that you felt so comfortable tackling it and just jumping right in. What were some of
3: your first episodes? Thank you, by the way, for the kind words. (laughs) I really appreciate that. And it's funny, though, before I answer your question, you don't really think about it when you're doing (laughs) it.
1: Sometimes You're
3: kind (laughs) of just like, well, here we go. I'm just going to (laughs) really go for it. I didn't really know I was being like brave or like, you know, doing anything different. I think also I was lucky to be surrounded by doers in my life. So Mm -hmm. it felt very natural to be able to take that step. But in terms of some of our first episodes, the first season was a really interesting format, which is I interviewed the same six people for every single episode about each episode topic. So if you listen to the first season in full, you'll hear that the same six people show up in different amounts of time per episode based on their expertise. Mm -hmm. But I thought that was a really interesting format because we were able to see a full person's opinions, experiences about all of these different kinds of topics. So that was the first season. And then it kind of changed from there. I think the second season we did like A couple segments per episode, a couple people talking on the same topic, like separately. Like we had one on one conversations and I would edit them together. And then seasons three through five were just one person per episode to really just hone in on the topic and that person's expertise and journey. So, yeah, for the first season, though, the kinds of things that we were talking about were things like birth control, there were things like basically things about relationships, polyamory, BDSM, kind of covering sex ed 101. Even our first episode was just like, this is sex ed, everybody giggle, kind of like, let's just like talk about it in general and what your experiences were like with sex ed growing up. Yeah. Wow.
0: And everybody's different, but also the same, right?
3: (laughs) Bad. Lacking. Generally. (laughs) The answer is typically it was very bad. And then we go into like varying degrees of like why it was bad and what (laughs) happened and where they grew up and how old they are and what generation they come from.
1: So, for someone who was unfazed by just jumping into these conversations, (laughs) were your guests also just super comfortable talking about these things as well? Or, did it take a little bit of coaxing to kind of get them <laughs> comfortable?
3: That's a valid question. I never even considered how uncomfortable the guests might feel about these topics. <laughs> You're just so brave. and <laughs> You just kind of go for it and hope everyone has the same energy. I think in the first season, the people who I chose were intentionally wanting to share their experiences. So I think in general, all the guests that we've had have been mostly very comfortable with either the topic area that we're discussing because they're so used to talking about it in their everyday life with their career, or because my mom is someone who's been on every single season and her and I have had a lot of really interesting conversations. She is someone actually who, because of the generation that she grew up in, even though she's an OBGYN, there were certain things that were intentionally uncomfortable conversations like in season one or season two I kind of publicly talked about how she unintentionally shamed me for masturbating growing up without realizing it yeah and I was like let's talk about this mom like did you know you were doing this and she was like oh I didn't really know I was shaming you by doing x y and z and so it was a very cathartic experience for me personally but that's amazing
0: like a red table talk moment
3: Kind
1: of, yeah. yes. And if you didn't know, Kate and McKenna are mother and daughter. I did <laughs> yeah. learn that
3: from my so conversation with Kate. Yes, yeah, so I see, I'm sure there are many similar kinds of revelations or discussions around what y'all talk about with your guests.
2: Yeah, for it's sure. been really fun. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's nice to also, even if things didn't go perfectly growing up, because we were learning together. I'm the oldest child, so... We were both kind of navigating that at the time. <laughs> I think it's good that at least we can kind of reflect now and kind of patch up some of those areas where maybe there was shame or or just confusion, you know. Exactly.
0: You know, your mom being an OBGYN, that makes me feel so much better knowing that she didn't handle it perfectly either, <laughs> at least in your eyes. You know, we're all human, but even with all the information... Some stuff doesn't always necessarily get through, but when you are so lacking, it's a full-time job, you know, just trying to figure out what wisdom to impart that you never even received. So it's, whoa.
3: Totally. Yeah. yeah her only sex ed growing up was the library. She would tell me that yeah. she would go check out books and kind of see what was then in the seventies and the eighties, you know, there wasn't really anything available then. for young people on a scale like there is now with the internet and with people on Instagram and social media who are both a lot of good and a lot of harm that comes along with that. And hopefully you're on the side of the algorithm that gives you the medically accurate science backed, non-shamey, non-judgmental sexual health education, but really depends on what you're clicking on and and what's going on. But that's kind of another conversation, I guess.
0: Yeah. Big one for sure. But let's chat about that for a second. You know, you can find unethical porn everywhere, (laughs) right? But to get some real sex education out there, it almost seems like the powers that be are looking out for you and censoring all that good, medically correct, Mm -hmm. important information, right?
3: Yeah. A lot of sex educators are experiencing This real issue with social media, which is that they are conflating sexually explicit content with medically accurate, age-appropriate sex education. And it's a problem because, at least I'll speak for myself, I recently started doing this full-time for four years out of the four and a half years I've been doing this. It's always been a part-time gig always had, you know, either a full-time job or another part-time job or was doing grad school or something. So Mm -hmm. wasn't able to really put my all into it. And now that I am, I realize what an issue it can be for people who depend on, for example, paid social media partnerships with brands that we really like and support. And when we're shadow banned, where we're not able to get our own ads approved or when we're not able to get the kind of content out there to people that we think is fantastic content, science-backed, medically accurate content, that's an issue because then what happens is young people then find other sources to get Mm -hmm. that content. And if they don't have studies behind that or they're not using trusted sources, then that is harmful and dangerous. Yeah, Yeah, very much. uh,
1: McKenna made this amazing trailer for our sexual health series and we already have experienced that just with the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> so, and there's just
0: some kissing.
1: Yeah. It's just a little <laughs> kissing, like <laughs> yeah. With two women, right? Maybe they're, you know, I don't want to read too much into it, but
3: <laughs> you're Sean's like their whole story. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm already like making notes.
3: <laughs> Never know. You really, I mean I I wouldn't doubt it, right? I mean there are norms that are shifting and changing, but when it comes to who makes those decisions, it's a combination of human moderators and AI bots, basically. So I think I read that last year TikTok put back, like returned or whatever, like something like 4,000 appealed pieces of content, something like that. Maybe it was more than that. Maybe it was 4 million. I can't remember. Mm. Maybe you want to fact check that. (laughs) But clearly there are mistakes being made when it comes to content being taken down. And it's because the people who are human moderators are not trained in what medically accurate sex education looks like. And so that's really where one of the issues lie.
1: Yeah. And then who makes the AI that... that bias falls into that too. So that's really interesting.
2: Do you have any advice for people who are looking for accurate resources on how they can kind of sift through the inaccurate things that pop up on
3: our feeds? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, there are always the few resources that I will always trust and always recommend. And Planned Parenthood is always the first site and data and resource that I recommend because not only are they extremely science-backed, medically accurate, but they are inclusive and they break things down in a way that young people and old and middle-aged people, people of all ages can understand and feel connected to. So Planned Parenthood is always great. Also, if you're thinking about medical associations or national sex ed nonprofits that are known to be trusted sources, such as CECIS, ACOG is another advocates for youth. There are just certain organizations who I feel really confident in going to and saying, okay, there are studies up on their site. So I can cite these studies without feeling like I need to double check my sources because they already are doing that. And Mm -hmm. there's also, it depends also on what kind of information or education you're looking for. If you're looking for trans specific and mental health education, the Trevor project is an excellent organization that, like that does a lot. Yeah. They're amazing. They do a lot of great work. There's also rain. If you're looking for information on sexual assault, it really, really depends on the kind of information that you're trying to get, but when in doubt, Seekus and Planned Parenthood have like a lot a lot of information, everything under the sun, basically, when it comes to sexual health education.
0: That's so helpful. That's really cool. Yeah. You're trying to kind of break those stigmas and also allow people to look at things through a clear lens. So you've just recently pulled back the curtain involving crisis pregnancy centers. And I was even like, wow, I didn't realize how much bias and what was going on there. Would you mind telling a bit about that?
3: Yeah, of course. So Crisis pregnancy centers are these evil institutions. I'm not even, yeah, gonna like sugarcoat it because it's really (laughs) offensive. Uh, Crisis pregnancy centers are these institutions that are funded through the federal government that are intended to trick pregnant people out of getting abortions by offering free services like diapers and ultrasounds, even though, a majority of crisis pregnancy centers do not have licensed medical facilities on staff. They lie to patients saying that they are not as far along as they are so that by the time they get to a real medical facility, it's too late for them to have an abortion. There are estimated, I believe it's between 2000 and 4000 crisis pregnancy centers across the United States. And It's a major issue because they also pay for search engines like Google for their Mm -hmm. crisis pregnancy centers to come up when someone types in abortion near me. You will get a crisis pregnancy center. Crisis pregnancy centers are also often located next door to abortion clinics to trick people into going into their clinics instead of abortion clinics. It is masterminded evilness. Like they have been doing this for decades and trying to prevent people from getting the very legal healthcare that people deserve. And it is wildly messed up. We just did an entire episode on it for the Seg Zed show, our video series, cracking open sex education for all that we're releasing (laughs) on uh, all of our platforms. So highly recommend you checking it out. We have uh, one episode with four parts that are a minute each. So in total, we have four minutes of content on this if you're looking to learn more. And it is horrific. And the last thing I'll say is that you might be wondering, okay, how the heck is this not illegal? This is, Mm. this sounds textbook illegal, but the reality is, is because that, because there aren't licensed medical professionals and because they aren't licensed medical facilities, there's a loophole with which they're able to do this, to lie to patients because they're not doctors. So (laughs) they're, they're not held to the same standard that doctors and other actual health professionals are held to. So anyway, it's a major problem. If I feel like this is the one thing as a sex educator that for some, well, not for some reason, for a major reason, but for me recently, it's become the thing I'm most passionate about because it's so prominent and many people don't know about it. So I try my hardest to share as much information about it as I can.
1: I'm fired up now too. I
3: know.
0: (laughs) When I saw that, I was just like, how do I not know this? (laughs) Like what? happening in this world that I don't know that
3: it's all on purpose. Like yeah. a lot of people don't know about it because their names aren't often crisis pregnancy center. It's like family planning center, right? Yeah. So you, you wouldn't <laughs> know. So they do that intentionally to trick people. That's crazy. Yeah.
2: One of the best things about this podcast for us is all the amazing and insightful people we've met. Throughout each of our series, we've seen many common threads. That's why we created the Health It's Personal Inspiration line to celebrate our unique perspectives and let
0: others around us know that we get it too. We teamed up with artist Cloud Ramkey to help bring these common threads to life. We've all dealt with challenges in our lives that make us stronger. Hence, our new favorite saying, thanks for the trauma. We make sure to remind our listeners and friends that you're not alone and that it's always a judgment-free zone because that's where the best conversations start.
1: Our designs are on t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, water bottles, coffee mugs, stickers, and so much more. These are great gifts for friends, loved ones, educators, caretakers, and advocates to help show your people that you care about their health and well-being head over to bonfire.com slash the hip podcast, our website or our show notes for links to the merchandise and stay tuned for future inspirational designs and messages too.
2: Yeah. And there's a lot of things that we don't know and a lot of education that's not reaching the general public throughout your episodes. What other conversations or topics or lessons or misconceptions were especially surprising to you over the course of your seasons?
3: Does anything stand out? I think that's a super good question. There have been many, I think. I think we've had over 65 episodes throughout five seasons. So there's been so much content, really fascinating and interesting. One of the most recent episodes we had in season five, it was episode three. I had two actors who are from the TV show Rami on Hulu. I'm not sure if y'all have seen that show. Really excellent show. Dave Merhage and Steve Way. So Steve Way has muscular dystrophy and is in a wheelchair. And something that I really learned from him is disability rights and disability advocacy. And he came out with an entire article in GQ about him not being able to marry his girlfriend because his health insurance will disappear if that happens. Mm -hmm. And so there are so many disability rights conversations that I am not privy to or don't know as much about because I personally don't, I'm not a disabled person. And so as a sex educator, I think I've learned that it's more important for me to have conversations with those folks when I don't share those experiences. I think another really enlightening conversation that I've had is about intersex health and intersex rights, and just understanding that we talk a lot about trans rights. And I think that is has recently become a more popular conversation. But the fact of the matter is, is intersex Babies are still being experimented on, and their genitals are there are forced surgeries that are happening on their genitals because parents are being pressured by doctors and healthcare professionals to make a choice. When the reality of the situation is that that is causing way more harm than it is causing good. The data and the Mm -hmm. science show that when it comes to intersex folks being born, it is as long as there's no health issue, of course it is better for the child to let them choose how they feel about their genitalia and what they decide to do with that. So I think in that vein, the theme for me that has come up is just really being humbled and being able to learn from people who have these identities, have these experiences and understand how I, with my platform, can fit into the narrative and what I can do to uplift those voices and those stories.
0: Yeah, that's so incredible. Absolutely. And I love it because some of these topics that aren't often discussed, there's so much shame surrounding them. Then the general public isn't even educated about these topics enough to know, to step in, to advocate mm. for. And like you said, a, a lot of these parents are making decisions in the dark of the night, you know, when their babies are born <laughs> and they don't talk about it because they're embarrassed or they don't understand. They don't have the education. So unless we experience that for ourselves, we might not know.
3: Totally. Absolutely.
1: You know, you've had all of these amazing experiences and you've created this incredible podcast. And in your background, you have a little bit of history with film and media studies. And we were wondering how that might have come into play with the work you're doing around sex education.
3: Thank you so much for mentioning my film and media studies degree. <laughs> Nobody asks about that nowadays. No, <laughs> Interesting question. I think that that's really what started this whole thing of the importance of storytelling for me. I think when I was in college, I was one of those kids or backing up in high school where I I like to do everything. Like I was kind of like a jack of all trades. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with my life. Like I knew that I loved working with young people. I knew that I loved teaching. I knew that I loved performing and singing. Like there were all these things that I knew that I was good at and enjoyed, but couldn't really see like a path for me necessarily, like an engineer or, you know, a doctor, like that wasn't really where I was headed. Hmm. And I think that when I was in college and realized oh, there's like film and media studies. It was more history and analysis. I kind of wish that it was more like a production kind of track. But I was just so fascinated by the stories and by how you could use film to really change the way people view and experience certain things. And that was just so exciting to me. And so I had thought that maybe I wanted to be like a film producer. I wanted to work for Pixar. I don't know. You know, you come <laughs> at, you know, you have no idea what the hell you're, you're doing. Or I was like, Oh, maybe I'll be a documentary director or something like that. Like real I still stuff. Be that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who knows? We'll see. I think it's really cool though, because yesterday I had this revelation with the seg Zed show, the video series that I'm doing. And ever since I was like 20 or 21, I did have it in my mind. I want to teach sex ed through video. That's what I want to do. I want to really follow through with that. And I hadn't been able to until right now. And that feels cool to like really have made that promise to myself and to be able seven years later to fulfill that in a way that feels like it's mine. And like, I'm really excited about the work that my team and I have produced.
1: That's so cool. (laughs) I teach some film studies courses, and that's one of the biggest takeaways the students come with is, um, "Wow, you know, we learned these stories. It's not just watching it for fun. It's you know, you don't always have to analyze it." (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But they're telling, they're trying to tell you a story here. They're trying to teach you something through this experience, whether it's good or bad. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So on that note, uh, we also learn when we're watching all of these, you know, films, TV shows, anything on social media or the internet. That's where we're learning a lot of these things, as we talked about earlier. and uh, and you've already mentioned some places where we should look for <laughs> for the proper information. But uh, what are some other things that we might want to watch out for when we're watching or consuming any type of media?
3: Really good question. I think it's everyone's responsibility, especially adults, if we have kids in our lives or if we're, you know educators or work with young people in any capacity to be really intentional about the media that we're consuming and try to understand what kinds of messages is it portraying what is it telling you about relationships about sex about human rights bodily autonomy consent there are so many things that when we're watching things that have to do with that whether that be on TikTok or a film or a movie or you know dune just came out maybe there's yeah. something there there's like a lot <laughs> in pop culture that we can talk about and learn But I think a really amazing example that I want to highlight is the show Sex Education on Netflix. I'm sure y'all have seen it or heard of it, or Mm -hmm. you know know that it's punctured the zeitgeist. I don't even know if that's a thing, a phrase or how you. Okay, great. Um, If it's not already, it should be. But I think as a sex educator, it's funny because I notice even. The content being like a little PSA, like kind of like, and here now we're going to talk about HIV. Like it kind of yeah. feels like that a little yeah. bit. But that being said, as a normal person watching, it is the best example of a mix of pop culture, where someone like most people are watching this show or have heard of this show, and fantastic writing, really dynamic characters, loads of information, education, normalization of everything about sex ed, right? There's LGBTQ health and relationships, there's identity, there's pain during sex, there's awkwardness, relationships, how you navigate your mom, who's a sex therapist, you know, butting into your business and just like (laughs) trying to figure that out. And so I think that there's so much good there. And for folks who haven't seen that show, I highly recommend checking it out and seeing what you think about it because it is extremely different from most other shows that are talking about these issues. I mean, when I was a kid, there was Degrassi, like that was kind (laughs) of what we had. That was like kind of similar. That was like trying to tackle these things, but sex education does it in such a way that's so artful and really intentional. And so I think if you want to understand what to look out for and how to process the information you're gathering start there and see what you think of that show
1: that's amazing i love i'm glad it has the seal of approval too because you know we have those experiences when we were younger and it was like wow they don't do a good job right <laughs> so oh, i know when they have that <laughs> um in
0: the first episode they have that big drawing of the female anatomy and um you know they're trying to label it or whatever but it's really big so everybody can see it and i was like i need to pause that <laughs> yeah yeah I need one of those and see if I can fill
3: that out (laughs) I know it's we're not taught how to do that so I think these shows are in some ways subtly teaching us correct information that we're too embarrassed to ask about because it's maybe you know we feel like it's too late but the reality is it's never too late and you can always find media that are doing a really good job of portraying it. But
0: mixing it with things that people actually want, like teenagers having sex in the chemistry room or something, which I don't know, has that ever happened? Like, where where does that happen?
3: I hope people don't spill vials and stuff over (laughs) if that's what they're doing, but maybe. There's
2: definitely the storytelling element that's really enjoyable to watch that is really attractive to teenagers who romanticize a lot of these things. You know, because we are so drawn to the gossip girl narrative loved that
3: show yeah of course especially the og gossip girl. yeah i haven't seen the new i'm too old for the new one but the- no it's <laughs> everyone i <is>. couldn't yeah <laughs> even gen z is like no thank you
2: <laughs> well and the theatrical element of that is so appealing and so it's nice to see a little bit of that in this show but giving you a realistic take
3: yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is exactly in sex education, but something I feel like that was really common when I was a kid and watching shows on whatever ABC Family or the CW or whatever I was watching in terms of cis het relationships, like cisgender heteronormative relationships with like a cis man and a cis woman. It was always about the chase, it was always about not sharing how you felt about someone or when you actually were going to go in for the kiss, there was like pushing up against the wall, no consent, no conversation Mm -hmm. that that's like sex in the city, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, that's the norm in some of those older shows that we're trying to maybe break boundaries by talking about some of these things or portraying them, but doing them in such a way that's not accurate and not teaching young people what they need to learn. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was thinking of, um, is it Fifty Shades of Grey? Too? Yes. <laughs> like that's how people think of kink, and it's like so no, that's abuse. <laughs> like, <laughs>
3: right. Yeah. It's so Nothing hard. to like, do with it? <laughs> Fifty Shades is a really interesting example because it got everyone excited about BDSM. Like it got everyone and their that's mothers amazing. and grandmothers and whoever excited about it. So I think it was it's an interesting thing to use as a tool to be like okay what went well here the couple things yeah. what went poorly <laughs> the many things and then let's like direct you to other erotica that's yeah. like better. <laughs> yeah. A good
0: point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so thinking about being a parent and preparing our young people for what they need to know and understand and be smart consumers of all of this information that I think that might be actually the the biggest lesson that we need to be teaching our young people, but you know, your mom understood what she needed to share with you and and made those conversations readily available during dinner times and whatever. But what can we be doing to kind of help our young people so that they feel comfortable asking questions and and really preparing them for what they need to know?
3: First, I want to say that you're not alone. Whoever's listening to this and you're thinking, oh, I just like don't want too, because I feel like I don't have the tools or I'm not good at it. Like you're not alone. A lot of people feel like that. And there are tools and there are resources and there are organizations and books that can help you. And one that I want to highlight is this organization called Bloom, B-L-O-O-M. And it is workbooks that parents can get and use to have conversations and do activities with their kids. So highly recommend checking them out. There's also Amaze, A-M-A-Z-E, which is this really awesome video series that, well, they're an organization, but they have a really awesome video series that's animated and all on YouTube. And parents can start to watch some of that to understand, okay, what's age-appropriate sex education? So that's those are videos for young people, I believe, all the way from like age. Eight until like 16 or 18. So, if you're trying to figure out, okay, what is age appropriate for my child, that's a really great resource. But another thing I want to say though is that your kid, if it's your kid that we're talking about, if we're talking directly to parents, wants to hear it from you. Like kids are really curious and trust their parents and want their approval. And so, and they're sponges. So, whatever you parents say to your kids, even if it's not perfect you can always say hey i don't know the answer to that but really good question and i'm going to go do some research and get back to you like kids are not stupid they're smart they understand that if you don't know the answer to something don't make it up just kind of take take some time to like check it out and see how it feels but at the end of the day the best advice that i can give is support your kid be positive tell them that you love them no matter who they are that Every part of their identity is valid, that they are autonomous beings. And at the end of the day, they get to make decisions about their bodies and that you'll be there for them no matter what. And you can share information that will help them, guide them in making their decisions. But at the end of the day, the average age of first cis het sex in the U.S. is seventeen. And that's in high school for most people. So understanding boundaries and norms. You know, if your kid is coming to you at 13 saying, hey, I want to have sex. At the end of the day, kids are going to do what kids are going to do. And you can only arm them with tools and resources and information for them to make the best decisions about whatever they want to do. And shaming is not helpful. Stigmatizing is not helpful. Support, love, telling them that you don't know the answer to something and that you'll figure it out. And then finally, I just want to say information that kids can get from their own experience with their health care provider is extremely important. Kids need to have their own relationships with doctors, with nurses, with mental health professionals, with therapists. They need to be able to feel comfortable. And like there is not that experience where a parent will then come in the room saying, Hey, tell me what you talked about with my kid. Like you need to let them have their own relationship with their healthcare providers in order to feel safe.
0: That's a great point. Yeah.
2: And also in order to build the confidence for them to make
3: choices for themselves. thousand percent. That's the hard thing too, is what do you do if you, your kid doesn't have access to that healthcare provider, right? I think that there are a lot of steps that need to be taken in order for care to be really solid in this country. Specifically, there are a lot of barriers to care, that make it really challenging, especially if you have a child who is trans or who is non-binary, who is intersex, who has one of these identities who need more care than other folks because they're marginalized and they aren't going to be able to get that care most likely in school or anywhere else.
2: Absolutely. I think that it can be overwhelming, I'm sure, especially as a parent to feel like you have responsibility over What happens to your child and with their sexual experiences and their relationships? So, I think all of this is obviously such great information and things to think about. And I think it's so wonderful that you're open to having these conversations with so many different people. We started this project actually, we started it with sexual health and sex education in mind. And then we kind of ended up starting with some other topics. And so we're so excited to get to this point and meet other people like you who are excited about the same things.
3: Absolutely. Thank you for opening up the conversation. I'm, as you can tell, very excited by these topics. So really happy to get the opportunity to chat.
2: Yeah, so nice. Well, and uh, something we like to ask our guests as well is you pour into other people all the time with this wonderful education and you care about so many people and are always thinking about these topics. What do you do for yourself that fills your cup?
3: Oh, really good question. I love TV. <laughs> I, watch a, <laughs> I watch a lot of television. Uh, but other than that, I really, really love to travel. Traveling makes me feel so full and whole and exciting to do as much as I can. I have an amazing partner and cat who I reside with. Love hanging out with them. They're wonderful. I also sing and perform. And when I was living in San Francisco, I was in a, like a folk Americana trio band. And we would gig cool. like all over SF. So I miss that a lot. That was really fun. And I would say those things majorly fill my cup. I have a really big family that I love to, to see and spend time with. My brother and sister-in-law are about to have their first baby in like a week. Wow. So That's
1: a that's lot so to fill your cup fun.
3: with. Yes, <laughs> I love totally. It.
0: So if someone is interested in all of these amazing podcasts and videos, where can we find your information?
3: Yeah, so we're all over the web find us on socials on instagram we're at sex ed with db podcast on tiktok and twitter we're at sex ed with db and on facebook because they for some reason are super strict we're at ed with db they wouldn't even let us put sex in the title if you're profesh add me on linkedin check out our linkedin page we also have a youtube that you can check out so uh find us sex ed with db on youtube if you Uh, want to listen to our podcast, check us out anywhere where you can listen to podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you go and, uh, check out our website. We're at sexedwithdb.com. We also have a Patreon that we're going to be, uh, relaunching with some new, really cool prizes soon. And if you do want to check out the SEGS Ed show, check that out anywhere where I just shared our handles. And please engage with our content, because as I mentioned, sometimes we get shadow banned based on the content that we're talking about. And so the more comments and shares and saves, the better.
0: Yes, share all of this information with the young people, just anyone that you love and care about. And it's almost like trading cards, right? Like, hey, I do you want this thing? I, I'll take this one. You know, like this is what I need for myself. But here's something for you. And um, yeah.
1: Yeah, we do that with uh, with certain topics. Like for Intersex Awareness Day, we were sharing some resources like, hey, I saw this thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's awesome. Amazing.
1: And it makes these conversations less stigmatized and less uncomfortable. Totally. (laughs) More comfortable.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it, Danielle. Thank you all for having me. This has been a blast.
1: Thank you. Take care.
0: Have
2: a good one. Bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Health It's Personal. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts for bonus episodes and new releases every Wednesday. The Health It's Personal podcast is produced by me, McKenna Udi, and hosted with the Phronesis Health Initiative team, Karen Jively and Sean Tingle. Special thanks to portrait artist Alexander, musical contributor Bernie Ramke, and to our guests and experts for their kindness and bravery in sharing their stories each week.
0: Please listen, subscribe, engage, and send us topics we can explore that would help you on your
3: journey.
1: Because health, it's personal.
2: Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Health, It's Personal. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts for bonus episodes and new
0: releases every Wednesday. Please listen, subscribe, engage, and send us topics we can explore that would help you on your journey.
1: Because health, it's personal.